Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Sue, thank you very much uh, indeed. Let me encourage you to uh, keep your Bibles open and indeed you might even find it helpful to dig out the uh, the handout of uh, the the sermon uh, that was uh, tucked inside your bundle uh, earlier. Uh, It's on a white piece of paper like this. Let me add my welcome to that of Pete's as well. It is uh, brilliant to see you here and especially if you're here for the first time as we continue to look through, indeed end our series looking at Christmas in the summer. Let me tell you about George. George was a Christian man, father of three, devoted to his wife and children, worked in finance. An exciting career opportunity came to his attention and he and his wife Debbie thought about it and prayed about it, discussed it with Christian friends and then decided to apply for the job and George got the job and it meant that he and Debbie and the children had to move to another city altogether, a city they didn't know but they were pleased to go there. They continued to pray about it, every aspect of the move. They found a good church, then found a lovely house to buy near the church, and George began his new job. Six months later, George came to see me. About three months into the job, things began to unravel. I won't go into the details because they were complex and confidential. Indeed, uh, because of the confidential nature of the discussion, their names are not George and Debbie, and you won't know them anyway. But I tell you the story because George and Debbie prayed about their move and tried to do everything a Christian couple would do for a move like that. And when George came to see me, he said to me, at the time we were sure the Lord had guided us to make this move and get me this job. But now we've ended up wondering if God is in control at all. Just six months later, they were confused by their circumstances. Now, I imagine uh, all of us have stories, maybe not as extreme as that, maybe worse than that, of confusing circumstances that we found ourselves in. 
It might be in this sort of uh, season of getting exam results that uh, GCSEs or maybe particularly A-level results mean you don't end up going where you plan to go. Or you might have been in that situation where you weren't offered the job or the promotion that you were sure you were, you were right for. Or like George and Debbie, getting offered the job and then everything going pear-shaped. Now as we turn to Luke chapter 2, we find Joseph and Mary facing precisely that kind of thing, confusing circumstances. See, there at the end uh, last week, we left Mary in verse 7, giving birth to Jesus and laying him in a manger of all places. Look, expecting your first baby is a huge deal for anyone, but just nine months earlier, Mary had been told that her miraculously conceived child was the Son of God. Any mother-to-be wants to get everything just right for the arrival of their new little one. But imagine how much more anxious Mary was to do everything just right. This life in her womb was God's son. It's not hard to imagine Mary and Joseph busy getting everything ready at home in Nazareth when they were told they had to go to Bethlehem, all because the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus called for a census of the entire Roman world. And describing these events, David Gooding writes these words. To have to take a journey and to stay in a public hotel at such a time was bad enough. Imagine Mary's distress when she got there and found all the rooms were taken. Their house in Nazareth was not a palace, but Joseph was a master builder and doubtless they had reasonable comfort. Now she'd have to give birth in makeshift quarters. And where would she put the child when it was born? Her first baby and God's son. How could she put God's son in a rough manger? You see, we know it so well, so we tend not to think about it, but Luke chapter 2, verse 7 is confusing. It was confusing for Mary. This wasn't anything like she'd imagined it would be. And if we didn't know the end of the story, it would be confusing for us too. Oh, for sure, if we were really theologically astute as we read Luke chapter 1 for the first time, we might not have been surprised that the baby was born in Bethlehem, the town of David, because the Old Testament told us that the child would come from the line of David and be born in Bethlehem. And if we were really theologically astute, we might not have been surprised that God's chosen Messiah would come as a baby because Isaiah prophesied that the virgin would be with child. But this, in verse 7, born in a manger? No, even if we were really theologically astute, we wouldn't have seen that one coming. That's not the place we'd expect the Son of Man, the, the Son of the Most High God, to be born. These are confusing circumstances. So here we're left with the question how can we know what's going on when faced with confusing circumstances? Honestly, none of us would conclude that a baby born to a young girl out of wedlock and laying in an animal's feeding trough, none of us would conclude that this baby is the saviour of the world, Christ the Lord. So how do we know? And that is the first point on the handout. How can we know verses 8 to 12? Well, verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. See what Luke does? He takes us from a baby lying in a manger in Bethlehem in verse 7 to shepherds watching sheep in a field in verse 8. 
we're, as it were, transported from that scene of the baby in the manger to a Palestinian hillside. And it's a thoroughly ordinary scene. Shepherds watching their flocks, not washing their socks, as has been going through my mind all week, watching their flocks. They're on the night shift guarding the sheep against wild animals. It's a most ordinary scene, lived out every night of the year. Verse 8 is remarkably unremarkable, extraordinarily ordinary. No more noteworthy than watching a postman deliver letters. It happens every day. Until verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Well, I bet they were. Because angels are mighty, powerful beings. Please kick out any images you may have from pre-Raphaelite art. You know, the sort of thing, soft-skinned cherubs who look as if they wouldn't say boo to a goose. That's not it at all. Angels are mighty and powerful and scary and scary for everyone. Shepherds were not wimps. They were men's men, used to hard manual labour. They were courageous blokes who could see off wild animals. They didn't scare easily. But face to face with an angel, they were terrified as the glory of the Lord shone around them. They'd never seen anything like it. But the mighty power that stood before them hadn't come to blast them off the face of the planet. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I have the best news you've ever heard. And it's great news for everyone. And what is the news, verse 11? Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And there is the link with the first seven verses. A completely different scene, but completely linked Because if you were here last week, you'll remember it. But in case you weren't, let me tell you it. In this chapter, two locations of Jesus' birth are repeated. Bethlehem, the town of David, and in a manger. Again, just to remind you from last week, verse 4, Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, the town of David. And as we've just seen, verse 7, Mary gave birth to a son and placed him in a manger. See the two locations? It's repeated again here in the verses we've just read. Verse 11, in the town of David. Verse 12, you'll find a baby lying in a manger. And repeated again for a third time in verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, the shepherd said, let's go to Bethlehem, the town of David. And verse 16, they hurried off and found the baby lying in a manger. Now, you see, those two locations are the coordinates, if you will, that are given to the shepherds to enter into their theological sat-navs in order for them to pinpoint and verify the facts of this news. That the baby was lying in a manger was a sign to them, verse 12, because it's exactly what we don't expect. We don't expect any baby to be lying in a feeding trough, not least of all the son of the Most High God. You see, what was confusing for Mary and indeed for us as we read verse 7 was the conclusive sign for the shepherds that this baby really was the angel as the angel said he was. Look at the baby lying in the manger and it doesn't look in the slightest like the most significant birth in the history of humanity. But the angel tells us that's exactly what it is, verse 11. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you He is Christ the Lord. 
That is the most important and significant birth announcement ever in the entire history of planet Earth. But before we consider the the details of the announcement, note this. This is the first big point. You and I, on our own, cannot make head nor tail of the confusing circumstances of life. We can have a guess, but we can't know what's going on. We certainly can't understand how they tie in with God's plan of salvation for the world. We need God's word in order to understand what's going on around us. As many of you know, we run a course here called Christianity Explored and the course begins by asking everyone, if you could ask God one question and you knew it would be answered, what would it be? When I asked that question a few years back, one man said to me, that simple, I'd ask God, what on earth am I here for? And he wasn't wondering why he turned up at Christianity Explored. He wanted to know the meaning of life. It didn't make sense to him. He's not alone. I I think of a a friend of mine who asked me the very same question just a couple of years back. I've heard it many times before. I guess I'll hear it many times since, and I guess you have too. And you see, it's not just unbelievers who are left perplexed by the circumstances of life. What are we here for? What is going on? Why is my life a disease? Christians ask that as well. And here's the thing. The only way we'll be be able to understand life is by turning to the word of God. See, that's what the shepherds heard from the angel of the Lord when they heard. They heard the word of God. Look down to verse 15 so you can see that clearly. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which, interesting, the Lord has told us about, not which the angel has told us about. It's very striking that. The shepherds understood the words of the angel to be the word of the Lord because angels are God's messengers. They bring God's word. So do you see the point? Here is God's word making sense of the confusing circumstances of life. How did the shepherds know this baby born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger was any different to any other baby born in any other location throughout the history of the world? How did they know God's word told them? peer into the manger and the baby doesn't look anything like the saviour of the world and come to that stand at the foot of the cross as Jesus died and he doesn't look anything like God's chosen son indeed look at the cross and it looks as if Jesus is being defeated how do I know what I know about all these things that we say we know Without God's word, we wouldn't make sense of these circumstances or any of the confusing circumstances of life. Look at the cross and all you can see is a man dying. I mean, if you'd been there 2,000 years ago, either peering into the manger or looking up at the cross, you cannot see anything other than a baby or a man dying. Indeed, the crowd who gathered to watch Jesus' execution sneered at him they mocked him saying he saved others let him save himself if he is the Christ the God the chosen one you're not the Messiah because you can't save yourself that was their conclusion see we can't see with our eyes that Jesus was taking upon himself the sin of the world we only know that because God's word tells us I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Christ died is the statement. It's a true fact. Christ died. But how does it go on? For our sins. You can't conclude that by looking at Christ dying. You just say Christ died. 
How do we know he died for our sins? Because the word of God teaches us. And it was true when he was born in Bethlehem in the manger. The shepherds only knew and we only know what is going on when the word of God comes to them through the angel. Wonderfully, we don't need to wait for a supernatural sighting of an awesome angelic being in order to understand what life is all about. We have the word of God in our hands. Luke has recorded these things for us. We have at our fingertips the very word of God. Right here we have everything we need to know about life, the universe and everything. In this book we have everything we need when we're perplexed by the confusing circumstances of life. But here's the sad thing. Many of us don't get to know the Bible so is it any wonder that we're so thrown when, the, when we encounter confusing circumstances? So in my past 27 years of pastoral ministry I've discovered that the Christians who are most thrown by the confusing circumstances of life are those who do not know their Bible. Now please, I don't want to make this simplistic. I'm not saying read your Bible and it'll all go well for you. Of course I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying read your Bible and you'll never be confused by the circumstance of life. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is if we don't read our Bibles, we don't have a hope of understanding this life and life in this broken, hurting, confusing world. This is God's word to help us to understand what life is all about. And I'll say a bit more about this in a moment. Well, secondly, that raises the question on on their handout. What do we know? If we know through the word of God, what do we know? Well, look at verse 10. Look what the angel said. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. As the angel declared the word of God, explaining the confusing events of the birth, it's all about Jesus. It's an obvious statement. I just don't want us to miss the obvious. It's not about Mary. It's not about the shepherds. It's not about wise men, because they haven't appeared yet. It's all about Jesus. Because it is Jesus who makes sense of life. And there are two things the angel says about Jesus. Firstly, on the handout, Jesus is saviour. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. That is the good news of verse 10, that a saviour has been born. And again, because it's so familiar to us, we mustn't lose the clarity of it. God has sent a saviour because what we need most of all is a saviour. He didn't send a healer or a teacher or an environmentalist or a liberator or an example of how to live. Although Jesus is a lot of those things. I've not just said, incidentally, that Jesus is not a healer. Of course he heals. And I've not just said that he's not a teacher. We know that he taught. But you see what the angels announce. Not I've sent you a teacher, but I've sent you a saviour. The point is this, of all the things that Jesus is, the most important thing, and the thing that is really good news, that will bring great joy for all people, is that Jesus is saviour. He has come to save. Now we see what that salvation is, is the, in the song that the great company of the heavenly host sang in verse 14. Again, words familiar to us, but I'm guessing that we don't read very well. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. 
Now, please don't misunderstand what the great heavenly host was singing. This is not a declaration of world peace from the moment Jesus was born. Of course, we know that's not the case. Listen to the words of the Christmas carol. It came upon the midnight clear. Yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel's strain of rolled, 2,000 years of wrong. And man, at war with man, hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, you men of strife, and hear the angels sing. Do you hear that brilliant words? 2,000 years of wrong. 2,000 years, and still there's not peace on earth. Why? Because verse verse 14 is not a declaration of world peace. Verse 14, if we look at it closely, is the promise that on earth, now, men, people, you and me, can have peace with God. That's the salvation that Jesus Christ brings, peace between human beings and the living God. Because the desperate truth is that we are not at peace with God, we are at war with him, we are his enemies. Now, in case you think that's My phrase, I get that from Romans chapter 5, verse 10. It's not my language. We are enemies of God. And to try and understand why we're enemies of God, let me just uh, ask you to flip back to some other words of Jesus in Mark chapter 7. um, And uh, this hopefully will help us to see why we are his enemies. Um, Mark chapter 7, page 1010. As we look at Mark chapter 7, this is Jesus' assessment, not mine. Jesus' assessment of our spiritual condition. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. These are devastating words. Jesus went on, What comes out of mankind is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Now whenever I look at this passage, I think it's full of a whole load of surprises. But here are two. Not in any particular order. The first though is that Jesus says we are evil. Isn't that a surprise? Verse 23, all these evils come from inside a man and make him unclean. So greed and deceit and envy and arrogance, they are evil and they come from inside us. They're in my heart. I am evil. Here's another surprise from the passage and that's the order of the list. Have you ever wondered about this? You see, don't look at it again just for a moment. If, if I were to write this list or if you were to write the list, what would you write what would you write first? I, I think I'd start with um, murder, child abuse, adultery, theft, before I got on to the other things like deceit and greed and envy and arrogance. I don't know which order you'd put it in, but that would be the order I would do it. But now look again at the order that Jesus does it in. Verse 20, 21, For from within, out of men's hearts, come what? Evil thoughts. And I reckon he starts like that, at least for one reason. I might be able to think of another one, but this one. If he were to do it the way I did it, and we say murder, you and I would be going, not done that one tick. Child abuse, definitely not done that one tick. Adultery, tick. Theft, never tick. 
And so by the time we come to greed and envy, where we know we're guilty, we feel smug and can brush off the little sins because we haven't done the big ones. And we feel quite proud about ourselves, you see. Jesus brilliantly starts with thought life. Now I've nowhere to hide. Because the things that go on in my mind are evil. The thoughts I've had about people who cross me, I will not share with you because they don't bear sharing. The lust, the envy, the scheming. Jesus is right, I'm evil in my heart. And so as we turn back to Luke chapter 2, I realise when I understand myself as I really am that I am in big trouble. I am, as the Bible says, God's enemy. I have turned far, far away from God. I have made myself God's enemy. And being God's enemy is a terrible thing because one day there will be a day of reckoning, not that anyone believes it. There will be a day when we will come face to face with the living God and left on my own, I face a fate worse than death. And so do you see, when I know the real condition, why this is good news of great joy. I've been sent a saviour to rescue me from the worst thing that could ever happen to me, facing God as my enemy. A saviour who will make peace between me and God, between you and God. That is good news of great joy. Let me ask you this morning, have you made your peace with God through Jesus or aren't you sure yet? Please, I've not just asked you if you, if you try to be a good person. I'm not asking you if you think you're religious or not. I'm saying, have you made your peace with God through Jesus? And if you're not sure whether you've done that yet, then let me beg you this morning to make sure and to make your peace with God. And I've got a little booklet that I'd love to give you on the way out. It's called Christmas in Three Words because we're thinking about Christmas, but it explains how you can be at peace with God. Just grab one from me. Now you see what's going on here. What do we know? We know that Jesus is saviour. Second, the angels announced, the angel announced Jesus is Christ the Lord, verse 11. And we saw last time that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord's anointed. That's why he was born in Bethlehem, the town of David. For anyone to have a claim to be the promised Messiah, they had to come from David's line. And Jesus was. And his being born in Bethlehem, the town of David, was proof of that. But the angel is saying something more here. The angel is declaring, again, look at it carefully. This is new to me this week, verse 11, that Jesus is Christ the Lord. This is the bit that's new. So far in his gospel, Luke has used this word, Lord, 20 times already in in the first chapter. And on every occasion he has used the word Lord, he has used it to describe the God of Israel himself. And so the angel is saying to the shepherds, the one lying in a manger is not only the Christ, the promised Messiah, but he is the Lord, he is God. Now that really is new news. Because in the history of Israel, there have been lots of people anointed Messiah, Christ, but they've never been anything more than a human being. 
King David being the perfect example. Anointed Christ, anointed aside, the Lord's anointed one. But he was no more than a man. But this one, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ is Lord, he is God. And that is how he is able to be the saviour of the world who brings peace between God and man. See, here is a baby born of Mary, a real human being, fully human. And here is the Christ, the Lord's anointed saviour, who is Lord of all, God of all, fully God and fully man. And it's because he is precisely both fully human and fully God that he's able to be the saviour and mediate between God and man, able to bring reconciliation between God and man, able to bring peace between God and man. Again, the writer of the Christmas carol understood it so well. Hark the herald angels sing. We're going to sing it in a moment. How weird is that in August? Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. And then hear what else the, 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 the writer of Hark the Herald say, says. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Do you see? He is God as well as man and that is how he is able to reconcile God and man. So in the confusing circumstances of life, how can we know anything? How can we know what life is about? We have the word of God. And what do we know? What do we know what life is about? It's about Jesus, the saviour of the world, who is Christ the Lord. You see, Jesus makes sense of life and even this scene begins to help us in this. Remember what is confusing about this. Here is the son of the most high God, Christ the Lord. He's lying in a manger. It's confusing. As we considered last week though, him lying in a manger tells us what kind of saviour he would be. That he would be a, a humble saviour. That he would humble himself to suffer and be rejected by mankind that he would be the kind of saviour who would have nowhere to lay his head. He was of no fixed abode. One who would suffer by dying a terrible death on a cross. The manger was just the first picture of that. He's going to be a humble saviour. But look, as you look at Jesus' life, going through these difficult circumstances all the way through his life, rejected by people, nowhere to lay his head, eventually hung up on a cross, did that mean that God's plan of salvation had gone wrong? Or that God was no longer in control? Or that God did not love him? No. Isn't that, isn't that helpful? This has been very helpful for me to think this through this week. Isn't that helpful? When the circumstances of our life appear to be about as bad as they can get, then we can know that God still loves us. That he is still in control. I'm not saying that glibly. I don't always understand, but he is still in control. And we can still know that Jesus Christ will save us and bring us to a wonderful new creation for all eternity. Do you see the point? The story of the salvation of Jesus assures us that when we encounter confusing circumstances, that it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us because God had not abandoned him. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love us because God still loved him. And it doesn't mean that my salvation is in jeopardy 
because through those most confusing circumstances of Jesus' life, salvation was being brought about for me. And so thirdly and briefly, how should we respond to all of this over the page, verses 15 to 20, and it is much more brief. Just for you to see, and you can follow this up more when you get home, the three steps the shepherds took. I've put them on the handout. Firstly, they investigated the word of God. Look at verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when you look right down to verse 20, you'll see they saw it just as the angels had said, exactly the way the angels said. Here's the point though, the shepherds heard the word of God through the angel and then they looked into the truth of it. I love that, they checked it out. Let's go and see. They heard the word of God and investigated the truth of it. And if you're here today and not yet convinced about Christian things, well, again, thank you for coming. Let me urge you to do what the shepherds did. In a month's time, on Tuesday the 25th of September, we have a new Christianity Explored course beginning. Come along and look at the word of God yourself and then investigate. Is this really true? Second, the shepherds spread the word of God. Verses 17 to 19. Look at verse 17. When they'd seen, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. The shepherds found out uh, that things were just as the angel had said, so, convinced, they then told other people. That is what we're to do. Now, I can imagine some here thinking, well, that's okay for the shepherds. They got to see these things with their own eyes. How can I be sure? How can I be so sure that I'm to tell other people? Look at this strange little verse in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's quite strange because all these verses are about the shepherds and then we get this comment about Mary. And Why is that there? Well, it's quite important because um, it's mentioned again. Uh, look at the, uh, the end of the chapter, verse 51. Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Exactly the same expression. What's the significance of all this? I think Luke is saying, look, Mary was understandable, obviously, remembering all this, remembering it, treasuring it up in her heart, just as we did with our children. But boy, these are amazing events. She remembered it all and treasured it in her heart. Why is that so significant? Well, Luke has told us at the beginning of his gospel that he went to eyewitnesses to find out what really happened. And I think what he's saying here is Mary was one of the eyewitnesses. And everything I've now written down, I've got from her. And so now what you have in your hands is reliable. So no, you weren't one of the shepherds. You weren't actually able to see with your eyes, but I've gone to an eyewitness, Mary, and she's told me, and now you've got it in your hands. And so you can be sure that you can check it out, and you can be sure, and you can do what the angels did. You can pass on the word of God, because I've given it to you. And indeed, he would say you should do that, because this is for everyone. That's what the angels said, verse 10. Now, this is good news for all people because everyone needs to be rescued. Everyone needs a saviour. So the shepherds investigated the word of God. They spread the word of God. And thirdly, and ever so briefly, the shepherds glorified and praised God. Verse 20. They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen. Oh, that has to be the right response, doesn't it? Because that's what the great company of the heavenly host did. Verse 14. They sang glory to God in the highest. This is Good news, great news of great joy. 
And it should leave our hearts singing, glorifying and praising God. Even when we're perplexed by the circumstances of life, we can praise God as we listen to his word, as we hear about Jesus who is the Saviour, Christ the Lord. We can still praise God because he is what makes sense of life. Let's pray together. Our Father, there'll be times in the future when we come up against all sorts of things we don't understand and some of them will be really confusing and really troubling. And there'll be some in this room going through that right now. Thank you that you are a loving God who meets us in those moments. And thank you for this helpful reassurance today that when those things happen, it doesn't mean you've left us and abandoned us and don't care for us. You love us deeply, just as you loved your son when he was going through the most difficult and obscure circumstances. And we pray you'd help us to be people who believe that we can make some sense of life through your word and therefore be people who read it and get to know it so that when those perplexing circumstances come, uh, we'd know something of where it's all heading. Thank you again for your word being relevant to us today and please may we leave here doing what the shepherds did, glorifying and praising you for everything we've heard today. Amen.